Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 204. Goodbyes are overrated. You'll see them again, I have no doubt, before this affair is done with. For the first time since that night, Shadow observed, the small brown cat was curled up in her basket. She opened her incurious amber eyes and watched him go. So Shadow left the house of the dead, ice sheathed, ice sheathed with winter black bushes and trees as if they'd been insulated, made into dreams. The path was slippery. Wednesday led the way to Shadow's white Chevy Nova parked out on the road. It had been recently cleaned and the Wisconsin plates had been removed, replaced with Minnesota plates. Wednesday's luggage was already stacked in the back seat. Wednesday unlocked the car with keys that were duplicates of the ones Shadow had in his own pocket. I'll drive, said Wednesday. I'll be at least an hour before... It'll be at least an hour before you're good for anything. They drove north, the Mississippi on their left, a wide silver stream beneath a gray sky. Shadow saw, perched on a leafless gray tree beside the road, a huge brown and white hawk, which stared down at them with mad eyes as they drove toward it, then took to the wing and rose in slow and powerful circles, and in moments was out of sight. Shadow realized it had only been a temporary reprieve, his time in the House of the Dead, and already it was beginning to feel like something that had happened to somebody else a long time ago. And that's the end of the page, and the end of the chapter, and the end of part one, ending on the end of the week. Amazing. So Wednesday basically tells Shadow he doesn't need to say goodbye and implies in a prophecy-like way that Shadow will see Jekyll and Ibis again before the war is over. And I don't know that that's exactly a comforting thing to be told. Hey, you know these death gods you've been with for the last hmm, three, four weeks, however long it's been? You'll see them again soon. Ominous, but it's true. And it's pretty remarkable that all things considered that Wednesday knows this and is right. As I've always mentioned, Laura is kind of a wild card in the whole situation, and it's her actions that inform a lot of what goes wrong with Wednesday's plan, but up to this point, it seems like more or less things are going his way. And he'll mention it, and we can discuss it later, but for now, I'll be avoiding spoilers. So just know that in like three to four weeks, we'll probably be getting into some spoiler territory as we discuss some of the new characters we meet. So Shadow Left the House of the Dead is one of those especially eerie lines, but I think there's a bit of, well, it's a bit of a connection back to the Egyptian pantheon on its own, where we're led to believe that Shadow is essentially being reborn at this point. And it's not the last time in the novel that something like this happens. Rebirth is a big, big part of the novel, and that's one of the many ways that characters can change, especially within the context of American Gods. The next paragraph begins with Wednesday led the way, which is also a nice bit of foreshadowing, though perhaps not obvious. It's It seems really on the nose to me right now, but we can talk about it later, I guess. The narration states that the bushes and the trees are made into dreams, which is another mention of dreams, and I feel obligated to point out, only because Sandman is one of those connections that I'm always looking for in this novel. Maybe somewhere deeper in the novel I'll actually find the thread that connects all of these dreams, but for now, I think... Dreams are more just a way of transmitting prophecies within the context of this novel. Perhaps it's a simple one-to-one situation here, though. The path out of Jekyll and Ibis is slippery, and the path ahead for Shadow will also be the same, though more figuratively. Or perhaps I'm falling prey to that old close-reading problem, seeing something where there is nothing. Wednesday's been busy as Shadow slept, which is another recurring situation in the novel, if I'm being honest. Shadow's impossible vehicle has new plates, and Wednesday's loaded it up and is ready to move. And then he drives because he decides Shadow needs more time to wake up and sober up before he can drive. So Shadow is driving for Wednesday in name only. 
great hiring, man. The Mississippi River is described as silver. The sky is back to being gray, and the tree itself is also gray. The hawk in the tree is white and brown, though is having is described as having mad eyes, which is, once again, Horace. We can talk about Horace more in about, God, 200 pages maybe? It's a while. The reprieve may have been temporary, as Shadow realizes on the page, but there's going to be a lot of downtime coming up as well. I think it's curious that his time is described as feeling like it happened to someone else long ago. If we remember back to Shadow's time, or to Shadow's dream as he left prison, he had a memory dream, or maybe some other kind of sense memory, where he was a slave up for auction. Shadow seems to have some sort of past life memory, or some sort of connection to the long ago situations that I'm not certain is ever actually explained in the novel, but it's one of those many things I'll be keeping an eye out for. We've also reached the end of the chapter, so let's talk a bit about the opening quote. If you've forgotten, chapter 8 started back on page 171 with Robert Frost and the important line, there's something the dead are keeping back. It makes sense, then, that Shadow spends most of the time in the funeral home, but I think it more directly relates to Mad Sweeney. When he was alive, he made attempts to tell Shadow important things about Wednesday, but never quite got there. And I think this is a bit of a reflection of Shadow's dream with the spook show where his mother was dying and trying to tell him something as well. But Sweeney is then dead and doesn't really pass on any more wisdom, at least regarding Wednesday. He's more self-focused. It makes some sort of sense as it was a memorial for Sweeney, so it should have been about him. But still, what was he keeping back in his newly dead state? And what did Shadow learn from relearning the coin trick? These are questions I have some answers for, but not really full answers, and so it really doesn't behoove me to discuss them at this time. For one thing, they would delve into spoilers, but for another, I just haven't read the novel in probably three years, so the edges of my memory are still a bit fuzzy. We're entering my favorite part of the novel, but it's more broadly considered boring and terrible and awful by one-star reviews on Goodreads and Amazon, but I love it. It's part two, and it completely fucks up my episode to page count up to this point. So, joy, I can't wait for that to happen. Will it all be worth it? Well, come on back tomorrow and let's see. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetail at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash worldbeyondpodcast. Thank you to Julian Cranganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which I use as my theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page. And remember, only the gods are real.